This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome everyone to the AA Live Radio Show. Wonderful to be here this evening. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Happy New Year from me to you out there. I know it's a little bit late, but I've been away. I hope you're all ready for a fun show tonight. I have to say it is lovely to be back after a break. A little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a service that involves recovering alcoholics, supporting other alcoholics that want to stop drinking. We work together through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Something I knew absolutely nothing about before I came into the rooms of AA, the voyage of discovery I have been on through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous has changed me and my life, actually, in ways I never thought was possible. It's not all been roses, that's for sure. Um, You know, there's been some hard, hard work, but it has been so, so worth it. I have to be honest and tell you that I have a life today that I never thought I could have. It has some happiness in it, some fun, lots of laughter, people are kind, uh, there's love in it. It's amazing. Uh, It's actually amazing to be present for all of that rather than numb from drinking. And saying that, Uh, Yeah, as I said, it's not all roses and rainbow farts, this life of sobriety. (laughs) There are hard days, I think. The difference for me now, though, is that uh, I can live each day on life's terms rather than my own. I've learnt in AA the tools to cope with the hard times. Yeah, definitely. It helps that I live one day at a time. The crutch of drinking was what I used to get through every day for good times and bad times and there was always a reason to have a drink, you know, and there's, yeah, this program is one of honesty so I have to say if there wasn't a reason to drink I would certainly find one. It's the insanity of alcoholism. I thought I was going crazy by the end of my drinking. It was, uh, it was scary, it was very scary. Anyway, let's get on with the show and uh, we're going to open with the Serenity Prayer Karakia today. So join me if you fancy. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. I'm going to start with the preamble that we read at each meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. 
does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So I do have to do a little bit of housekeeping here and just say, look, anything that you hear this evening on the show, it is our opinions. It is not that. um, It's not the opinions of Alcoholics Anonymous per se. These are um, just how we see it and uh, how it's going for us. So, yeah, these are not necessarily the opinions of AA. I would like to introduce our daily reflection as a bit of a spirit lifter today. This is something that we read every morning. Well, I read, I should say, not we, the royal we. I read every morning just to start my day. It gets me, gets me in the right place when I hand over my will to my higher power. So it's for January 24th, getting involved. There is action and more action. Faith without work is dead. To be helpful is our only aim. That's from our Alcoholics Anonymous big book, page 88 to 89. I understand that service is a vital part of recovery, but I often wonder, what can I do? Simply start with what I have today. I look around to see where there is a need. Are the ashtrays full? I have to say, not anymore. But... I'll just put a little extra in there and say apparently AA's ashtrays used to be buckets. Anyway, I'll go back to that. I look around to see where there is a need. Are the ashtrays full? Do I have hands and feet to empty them? Suddenly I'm involved. The best speaker may make the worst coffee. The member who's best with newcomers may be unable to read. The one willing to clean up may make a mess of the bank account. Yet every one of these people and jobs is essential to an active group. The miracle of service is this. When I use what I have, I find there is more available to me than I realised before. I have to say that is definitely true. Service has been a good one for me. Um, as a well, I'm here doing the radio show, so that's one. But it's not only got me out of thinking about myself, uh, but the commitments I made when I first came into the rooms. I made a commitment to the uh, first home group I had to be the biscuits and milk person. So I'd bring the choggy biscuits and the milk for the tea and coffee. And it actually meant that I had to turn up. It was so simple, it worked. So every week I would make sure I would attend that meeting. And then I would get to hear what I needed to hear and start this journey of this wonderful recovery and the spiritual side of my life and the people that I've met. It's been a great way too for me to hold myself into account on my sobriety journey. Uh, I've come to understand that by listening to others share their stories and then sharing my story too has, has helped us all that that we reach a place of serenity eventually and, and being able to live one day at a time. Now when I say a place of serenity, I mean pockets of it. It's not constant. <laughs> Life isn't constant like that. Why on earth would we think we would have a pocket like that? So, folks, you are listening to the AA Live Show. It's in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM.
you enjoyed that song that was a request actually from a friend of mine that was Imagine Dragons Peace of Mind from their Mercury album we're going to listen to a past recording today with a good friend of mine in the fellowship Uh, he's one of the first people I trusted in the fellowship he's also one of the many people in the fellowship who I have looked to for guidance Uh, one of the people I have listened to and heard the similarities with my own story, the levels of desperation, loneliness, the dark places uh, that we can go, and definitely the dark place I was at when I finally stepped through the doors of uh, my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. So let's listen to Tony's story of experience, strength and hope, and uh, what it was like and what it is like now. Oh, well, um, well, alcohol's been with me, um, you know, since I can remember. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a family of, of let's say, serious drinkers, and um, alcohol was always around at every function. I mean, even christenings, even, you know, alcohol was right there. And, uh, and so I grew, uh, grew up in this, sort of immersed in it. Um, I, I think I, I got drunk when I was... 12 and I had such a terrible experience with it that I remember lying under a tree just absolutely vomiting and just being absolutely sick and going I'm never going to do this again 
and um, and I put it down out of my mind for a while. But by fourteen, I had started to pick it up again, and um, and I honestly cannot remember having just one or two drinks ever. It was more or less being insanely drunk every time I drank. Um, and this carried on right through my teenage years. Um, I actually thought it was quite normal. Um, we, as teenagers, we were all drinking, you know, out in our cars as you did, and um, back in the day, and um, and you know, heading to the off license to get booze for the weekend or whatever. Um, and you know, uh, at that stage, I thought alcohol was just marvellous. It, it elevated my mood. It, it um, you know, it made me feel like I could do pretty much everything, um, anything I wanted to, and. Um, and um, you know, so it was definitely a strong feature of of my life. Um, even back in those days, I would drink so much that I'd get sick. I remember, um, I remember often having to go to the doctor, um, basically after some massive binges, even when I was you know, a teenager. Um, and, and basically what was happening was it was alcohol poisoning but nobody would say that to me you know um, looking back now I can see it clearly but um, you know so I was always a very heavy drinker um, right from the get go I suppose and and it seemed normal um, when I looked around at my father and looked around at my family and other people doing it it just seemed absolutely normal to be this way um, but as the years progressed um you know, I, I had this sinking feeling that something was absolutely wrong. And um, um, and one of those things was I just couldn't put it down. Um, and, and as I, you know, went through my, my 20s and 30s, I, I got married and had children. And, um, and you know, where others had, had put it down and were into family life and, and doing that sort of stuff, I, I still continued to drink. And again, it was never one or two and put it down. It was, it was, um, you know, to passing out and blacking out. And um, you know, um, yeah, it just seemed um, that I couldn't put it down. Um, and it, yeah, it was a feature uh, right through my life. Um, I suffered um, from depression um, at an early age, and back in the seventies, I mean, that wasn't really talked about. I think today. Mental health is, is, you know, such a banner uh, and people um, feel a lot more comfortable to talk about it. But I remember it all, a lot of this is, is getting and getting sober and in hindsight that I see that I was actually depressed um, and, and untreated. And so I can see that, you know, um, that when I touched alcohol for the first time, well, maybe not the first time, but... When I, when I touched it again and when it elevated my mood, I mean, you know, for me it seemed to be the answer for a lot of problems. Um, um, but as the years uh, progressed, it, it just, it created a whole a whole another set of problems, if you like. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I, so this is, you know, I'm, 40, um, I'm, I'm 47 now, okay, so, that, you know, when I started, you know, 12, right through, this thing has taken a long time uh, to get here. I, <clears throat> throughout that period, I would, would suffer fits of remorse, I guess, or, or things being out of control. There would be an idea that my life was out of control, and somehow I had to put the drinking down, um, and so I would have periods of where I would put the drink down um, but the problem was 
I could never say stopped. I would always return um, to the booze. Um, and as that cycle was happening, uh, things deteriorated. My mental health absolutely deteriorated uh, more and more, and my behaviour became more and more, um, I guess, aggressive and, and um, erratic. Um, and so the, the last five years of my drinking um, were, were marked with, you know, the law getting involved, meaning I was getting arrested um, periodically, um, you know, reasonably frequently, um, and spending the night in the cells or a few days in the cells. Um, you know, uh, my relationships around me were absolutely deter- deteriorating. Um, you know, um, within the uh, the last two years, I actually did a couple of stints in, in hospital, um, and I had to, you know, ring up and say, they wouldn't let me out, so I had to ring up people and say, look, I won't be in to, to work today. And, um, and so things were really re- deteriorating um, at quite a, quite a marked pace. But I still somehow thought I could negotiate this. I thought somehow I could still, um, uh, you know, drink and, and have my cake and eat it too. I couldn't see the extent of just how bad things were getting. Um, and, and, you know, partly through that depression that I had as a child, I, people would intervene. I mean, I remember a psych, uh, psychiatrist getting involved and saying, look, Tony, you've really got to put down the booze. Um, and the way I looked at it was, you know, I felt so bad on the inside. I just, the despair in me was just so immense that I thought the alcohol was the only thing keeping me going. You know, if I put that down, you know, where to from here? I just couldn't face it. Um, so I didn't think, you know, psychology or these people were really going to be of much help to me. Um, and so I, um, and all the times that I'd, I'd put the booze down for a little while, I would always return. So I felt that, you know, being sober, well, what I call being sober, I now realise it was being a dry drunk. Uh, was just absolutely not the answer as well. So, um, you know, which I returned to the booze. So anyway, everything exploded a couple of years ago and um, and basically what happened was I, um, I, I self-harmed to the point where um, one night I was fighting for my life. Um, I can't remember a lot of that night other than being carried out of the house on a gurney. I, I can't remember a lot of that. Um, and it's all pretty blurry. But what I can remember is waking up the next day. <laughs> that was, I had never felt so lonely in my life. I'd never felt um, pain like it. And I'm not talking just physical pain. I'm talking emotional, spiritual pain in every which way. And I, I lay there, you know, in shock um, of, 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 of all, like a disbelief of how it had all come to this. And um, if you'd told me two years ago or previously that I'd be lying in hospital fighting for my life, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, you know, impossible. Um, but here I was. And um, and it was, that was actually that moment of lying there in shock of just how bad things had become. Was It didn't feel like it at that moment, but that was that was day one of my recovery, which has been happening ever since, um, you know. Yeah, so um, well, I jumped into um, recovery, sobriety, really. Um, like I said, at that point in time, um, I, I yeah, didn't think any of this was possible. Um, so 
so I was lying there and, and the, just this huge question overhang me, where to from here? And, and there didn't seem to be anything. Um, and so um, I had to choose. I had to choose whether I wanted to continue living the life that I'd been living and, and you know, lying there in intensive care or I wanted to choose living seriously living in a, in, a, in a different way and so I prayed to my higher power um, and and I chose I, I said I want to live and um, and uh, yeah it started from there again you know you have to realize that I was very much in the moment and I was in shock and there didn't seem to be any hope um, but what what was happening at the time was, you know, I'd come to the end of myself. I'd thoroughly come to the end. There was no more bargaining with this thing. There was no more negotiating with this thing. And um, and so really it was uh, letting go. Uh, I had to let go of all my expectations, everything that um, that basically had got me to, to lying in that bed. And, um, you know, for the first probably four days, I probably didn't speak. I didn't know what to say, you know. Um, but at the time, there were people who stayed with me. I was basically, you know, I had a minder, they used to call them, who stayed 24 hours with me. And so they would just talk. They would talk about their lives. They would talk about their children, their, you know, talk about life um, and, and talk about things that weren't easy for them. And... Um, and it was probably the first time that I actually listened to anybody. <laughs> and, and and so this, this just went on for days. Um, I spent 14 days in surgical, um, in a surgical ward. I couldn't walk. I had to learn to walk again. I had to learn, and just one little step at a time. Um, and in the meantime, there were just people who sat with me and just would talk. Um and I would listen. And I, I, I look back now and I see that at the beginning of, of I caught breaking my heart, um, letting people into my life again because I'd become so isolated um, away from anything good. I'd become so shut down and, and I thought my way of, of, of dealing with that was to drink. Um, and, and little by little, I made it through that and I, you know, I got up up out of my bed um, and and um, was moved to another ward where I spent I think five weeks in total um, and and the the big question out there was what to do with me <laughs> you know as I said I had trouble with the law the police had certain ideas the doctors had certain ideas my family had certain ideas I had no idea um, I had no idea at all and um, and and so what happened was I um, I made my way down to Dunedin. So I was living in the North Island, and I made my way down here. And um, and it was really a time of just going with the flow. Um, that um, and and what happened then was um, the AOD, the people in the hospital, um, actually organised me to go to the bridge here. And um, so I entered this, all this happened in November um, 2016, so so uh, somehow I made it into the bridge, oh, I think it was the 7th of January, I'm pretty sure it was the 7th of January uh, 2017, and um, so, I, so I spent uh, nine weeks in a residential program um, 
um, which was immensely helpful uh, for me. And looking back now, you know, the hospital was really the start journey of of getting me well enough physically. Um, you know, it all has an order now that I can see. Uh, it was getting me well enough physically so I could go into into essentially rehab and start um, addressing my addictions. And um, and that was immensely and, and and that was a place where I was still absolutely exhausted. I remember just being absolutely exhausted, but. Um, felt that I might be on the right track um, and it was a place where I, I caught the lights coming on I began to see as we went through the therapy and, and that sort of thing I began to actually see myself in my life for the very first time uh, and see how um, things kind of fitted um, and so it was really the beginning of of of, of my healing really uh, my recovery um, which is 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 what I'm doing today um so yeah that first year was incredibly difficult i i remember very much just one day at a time in fact that's where i learned what one day at a time really meant um and i i would pray a lot to my higher power i would take my worries and I would take you know um, where to next and I would ask you know advice I got myself a sponsor um, you know in the, in the bridge program it really introduced me into the fellowship of, of AA and um, and so we had to go something like three times a week but I'd actually go most nights I I would sit there and, and um I would say, look, I need to get to a meeting. I saw that early on in the piece as actually being very vitally important to be able to sit with other people who'd gone through what I was going through. And um, and and I would draw off the hope and strength that they had. And uh, that was terribly important, um, you know, for me to do that. So, and that's something that's just continued ever since. Um, today, I mean... Yeah, it, it, it's little by little, really. It's not like one day I woke up and I I, I have recovered. I I'm still in recovery, but I have to say, you know, that erratic behaviour, that that erratic um, person I I was is 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 healing. Um, you know, I do know what serenity um, actually means today. Um, you know, I had to do a lot of talking after, you know, um, particularly after the bridge. Um, you know, I had to find a sponsor, and I did a lot of talking with my sponsor. You know, where to next? What did you do? You know, I don't. I, I feel like I'm all alone. I don't know what to do. And just listening to um, what other people shared was was immensely important. Um, you know, um, yeah. Look, it is, you know, I don't want to, it is really good. It is good, and I mean that. Um, I, there's a stableness that I've never had um, through working this program and, and starting to deal with the issues that I'd never deal with. And, um, you know, um, just simple things like uh, sleeping. I used alcohol to sleep. And I must say it took months and months to get back to a, a normal pattern of sleeping. Um, but I sleep soundly today. Um, you know, I feel well on the inside. Now, that's not to say that I don't have challenges and problems and all that sort of stuff that I have to work through. I'm just like everybody else. I do. But what I'm saying is I feel fit for purpose. I feel like I can work through things and enjoy things without alcohol or other substances in my life, you know. 
Um, like after here, I'm off to go swimming because I enjoy it. You know, these are just freedoms that I would never have considered um, while while using alcohol. Um, it was really just a one day function was to get a drink in me, and um, and everything else to you know was pushed out out of the way. Uh, today, I enjoy, you know, I'm enjoying being here. I'm enjoying uh, being with the lads here. Um, I there are people in my life. Um, you know, it is it is day by day be, be, having the life that I couldn't have before because of my addiction, and um, and and little by little that's coming to pass. You know, so yeah, it is. It, look, it is really everything that I've done to get out of this thing uh, has been well worth it. It really has. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing that. That was a spirit lifter for me. The whole. Yeah, look, the strength of the fellowship is hearing each other's stories. Listening to the similarities to your own story just helps you stay sober. It has for me anyway. It's about doing it one day at a time. And and I'm really grateful that Tony was willing to share that story with us. I'm going to put a little bit of music on. Would you believe? A bit of Darcy Clay. Jesus, I was evil. I used to do lots of things.
<laughs> I love that. And I'm going to play a complete flip on you now, folks, because these two songs were songs I heard on a playlist while I was on holiday. Now you're going to get a bit of Dolly Parton and Jolene. of auburn hair with ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile is like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain and I cannot compete with you Jolene He talks about you in his sleep and there's nothing I can do to keep from crying when he calls your name Jolene easily understand how you could easily take my man but you don't know what he means to me Jolene 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 I'm begging of you please don't take my man Jolene 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 please don't take him just because of men, but I could never love again. He's the only one for me, Jolene. I had to have this talk with you. My happiness depends on you and whatever you decide to do, Jolene. Tell you, it was a mix in the car that day when one those two came up after each other. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that good bit of listening. You are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. If you would like to listen to some of our past shows, please jump on ORFM's website. That's O-O-A-R-FM's website. And... Look up the AA Live podcast. You can listen to what's been there before. Enjoy that. So there are 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous, which I'd like to read out to you. It's the start of the year, and uh, January basically lines up with step one. So here we go, the 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted 
to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact natures of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for His knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So folks, whether you are an alcoholic, it is not determined by where you drink, when you started drinking, how long you've been drinking, with whom you've been drinking, what or even how much. The true test is in the answer to this question, what has alcohol done to you? If it has affected your relationships with your family, friends, former or present employers, if it has influenced the way you schedule your days, if it has affected your health, if it determines or affects your moods when not drinking, or your state of mind, if you are in any way preoccupied with alcohol, then the likelihood is that you may have a problem and that uh, that terrible thing of alcoholism it might be banging on your door it might be time to come and see us I'm going to read chapter 3 from our big book uh, which is the the book that was written way back in the 1930s we're just actually they're working on reprinting it at the moment but this is chapter 3 in the big book and it's called more about alcoholism most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterised by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralisation. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men and women. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. 
Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only. Limiting the number of drinks. Never drinking alone. Never drinking in the morning. Drinking only at home. Never having it in the house. Never drinking during business hours. Drinking only at parties. Switching from scotch to brandy. Drinking only natural wines. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip, not taking a trip. Swearing off forever with him without a solemn oath. Taking more physical exercise. Reading inspirational books. Going to health farms and sanitariums. Accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list ad infinitum. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar and try some controlled drinking. Try, try to drink and stop abruptly. Try more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one of those examples. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of heavy drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatsoever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his slippers and a bottle of whiskey. In two months he was in a hospital puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital in the meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could therefore drink normally. 
But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We've seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we're in a short time as bad as ever. If we were planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And for me, that was a huge revelation coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and hearing that being read and hearing people's stories and the similarities and how many times I had said I'm not going to drink today and I my longest time of sobriety was three years but that whole time I was white knuckling it and I didn't understand what white knuckling was at that time I do now it, it meant life didn't feel good uh, there was a strain it was a it was actually quite an achievement to not go and buy alcohol and not have a drink uh, I found myself changing my whole life schedule, the way I was going through my days, just so I wasn't put in a position where a drink was near me or necessary. Uh, it was, yeah, was wasn't good, not a good place to be. Because, of course, earlier on in the show I'd mentioned how you know you could have a, a stage of where all you do is think about does it consume your thinking and for me um, that's definitely what happened I would wake up every morning and say to myself I'm not going to drink today but I tell you what wouldn't be long until I'd be down at the bottle store figuring out how to get my hands on it I'd like to make some closing acknowledgements today and remind you all that if you want to drink that is your business but if you want to stop Alcoholics Anonymous may be able to help you you can get hold of us several different ways. You can call us on our 0800 AA Works line. That's 0800 229 6757. You can also post us a, a letter if you like. Uh, you can do that to PO Box 6115 Dunedin North and Dunedin 9059. And there is also our New Zealand website. Now that is full of wonderful tips, uh, full of great reads, sayings. Uh, It has got some fabulous pieces of information in it that may help you even to just decide whether you do have the uh, alcoholic mind or you know that that this is this is knocking at your door that uh, it's there for you the alcoholism if you have a look on aa.org.nz it will also give you all the meetings that are around the country those could be in person they could be on zoom look every region has one here alone in Dunedin we have 14 meetings a week it's not many compared to other I was in Christchurch recently and they have something like 77 every week so you know there are places to be um, and there is support out there so jump on that website if you have to aa.org.nz or give us a call on 0800 AA Works that's 0800 229 6757 and you'll get one of us on the other side of that line because it's all about alcoholics helping other alcoholics and that's what we're doing. 
So it's been an absolute pleasure to be back on the show this year. Bring on 2023. We are going to finish with a song this evening. I from Van Morrison. Yes, love Van Morrison and a bit of days like this. I hope you all enjoy the start of this year and thank you for being a part of the show this evening. Kakiti to you and Matiwa everyone. When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. Everything falls into place like the flick of a switch. Well, my mama told me there'll be days like this. When you don't need to worry, there'll be days like this. When no one's in a hurry, there'll be days like this. When you don't get betrayed by that old Judas kiss. Oh, my mama told me there'll be days like this. When you don't need an answer, there'll be days like this. When you don't need a chance, there'll be days like this. When all the parts of the puzzle start to look like they fit Then I must remember there'll be days like this When you don't have no freeloaders, I can get that kicks it. Well, that's nobody's business, the way that you want to live. I just have to remember, there'll be days like this. When no one steps on my dreams, there'll be days like this. When people understand what I mean, there'll be days like this. When you ring out the changes of how everything is Well, my mama told me there'll be days like this This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.